so as we get into Luke chapter 6 today, I don't think that Jesus gets enough credit for how much he's changed the world. And I know that we're like, well, B.C., A.D., like there's a lot, you know, like every city has monuments, it seems like, in his honor. But honestly, we don't acknowledge enough. So the world we live in talks about equality and progress and freedom and consent like they came up with it. But that was all Jesus and his boy Paul, okay? And that's an historical fact I would love to walk you through. Uh, Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, but the historian, Tom Holland, secular historian's written all about this, how Jesus changed the way that the world thinks, introduced the world. Okay, and 428, Plato said, it is just for the better to have more than the worse, the more powerful than the weaker. Justice consists, justice is in the superior ruling over and having more than the inferior. Aristotle, a few years later, BC, 350 BC said, for that some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary, but expedient. From the hour of their birth, some are marked for subjection, others for rule. To Plato, Aristotle, virtually everyone in the classical world and those before them, Humans were born as, some humans were born as living tools. As much as so it was obvious to kind of everybody around, and Plato's thinking, you see there, justice was your superior ruling over you, okay? They didn't have to defend slavery because no one was attacking it, right? And so, like a fish who doesn't see the water they're swimming, and everyone before Jesus thought this way, it just never crossed the world's mind to see each human life as valuable, for each human person to have consent and agency over their own thoughts and body until Jesus. He changed the world in so many ways. And what we see Jesus do today in chapter 6 of Luke is shocking. He doesn't just say, try not to vehemently hate your enemies. Hey, do your best to not hit that person right in their jaw. That's not what he says. He says to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you. And then, once again, Jesus changes the world. Look with me in Luke 6, 27, all the way to 36. This is Jesus speaking. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for the people who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on your cheek, offer the other cheek as well. And from one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, treat them just like that. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love people who love them back. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is it? What benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good, lend expecting nothing in return, and your father and your reward will be great. You will be sons and daughters of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful." The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Love your enemies. <laughs> you good to those who hate you? Bless people who curse you. Like if somebody flips me off in traffic, I got to blow them a kiss and smile. Is that what he's really saying this morning? Okay. 
And I dug into Jesus' words this week. I always kind of look into the original language. You know, this was originally written in Greek, and I always look in the wording and try to make sure that I'm not missing anything or whatever. This week I dug in a little bit extra just to kind of make sure, like, is this what Jesus is saying, right? And I got some good news and bad news. (laughs) It is. Okay, The, the way that we read it, the way that it strikes you, that is what he's saying when he says to freely lend your money. To pray for those who abuse you, that's what he means. And I want to be clear, okay, so this isn't a new teaching from Jesus necessarily. He's actually expounding on or explaining the implications of Old Testament teachings. And Jesus does this a lot. At one point, he's teaching about different uh, parts of the Ten Commandments. He's teaching about one of the commandments, you know, it says, do not murder, okay? But he says, he draws it all the way back to the heart, and he expounds on it, and he says, hey, but if you hate someone with unjust hate, okay, unjust anger, without cause, that's the same thing. I was like, what? He says, not only should you not commit adultery like the, the Ten Commandments says, he says that if you look on somebody who isn't your spouse, if you look at that person lustfully, that you've done something wrong there, you've sinned there as well. So that person isn't, that person's body isn't something for you to consume even with a look. So he's expounding on the implications of what God had taught in the Old Testament, the full intent of the law. Way back in Leviticus 19, any fans of Leviticus out there? Amen. Come on. Uh, God's people were a lot of, you know, most of the time, like by now, like in your yearly reading plans, you're hitting Leviticus. Keep going. Okay. Keep going. Deuteronomy's next. Leviticus is awesome though. Okay. But in Leviticus 19, God's people were taught to love your neighbor as yourself. But then these Pharisees that we keep talking about as we go through Luke, they had this narrow interpretation for who is my neighbor. And they were teaching that just fellow Jews are my neighbor. Okay, so Jesus is like, nah, Jesus is correcting that interpretation and showing how expansive God's love really is and how, his, and how his love really looks in our lives. And so when he says to love your enemies, now he doesn't mean you have to have, you know, like feelings of affection for your enemies. Okay, it's a verb here, not a noun. Okay, so, uh, so he's not saying that, but you could translate it this way, be loving toward your enemies. Be loving toward your enemies. It has to do with how we behave toward them. And listen, I'm a Baptist pastor. There are people who hate me by virtue of what I do, by virtue of what I think about Jesus and the scriptures. And that's okay. Okay. I was on this flight one time and this young lady next to me, listen, if you're on a flight next to me, you're getting witness too. Okay. So I struck up a conversation and you know, it's kind of the beginnings of it, so I haven't gotten into the three circles and all that yet. So, you know, we're talking, and she goes, so what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And she's like, what kind of pastor? Like that, you know, head snapping everything. And I was like, oh, Christian. She goes, so like one of those people who take the Bible literally? Which is a shocking thing to be asked in the wild, okay? And I was like, uh, you know, so I, I would say that I take the Bible seriously because there's different genres, but what you're asking, yeah, I think that's yeah, I think that's me. And she goes, what if I told you I, had a wa- I have a wife? So I put on my headphones and just turned the up. No, okay. So I, <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm so sorry for anything that we've done to give you the impression that Jesus doesn't love everybody. Because he absolutely does. Jesus loves you without conditions. But are there any particular questions that I can answer for you or that you have wondered about? Now you have a Baptist pastor sitting next to you. At that point, I went ahead and told her I'm a Baptist. I lay low for that. I say Christian as long as I can, but then I went ahead and told her I'm a Baptist, right? And to be honest with you, she was very unkind to me during that conversation. The whole way through, I don't hate that young lady. 
Her disagreement is with the scriptures and not me, really, and that's okay. I don't have to take it personally. I don't have to hate her or anything like that. I can be kind and loving toward her even as we have this really significant and meaningful disagreement or whatever, right? And so, and uh, as we get into it this morning, we kind of have to talk about the political implications of loving your enemies. Maybe you've noticed by now at this point in juncture in our church, I, ha- I don't really talk about politics up here. Have you noticed? Okay. But, you know, there's so much division and hatred in this country right now, and it makes me sad. Honestly, what makes me most sad about it is how often Christians partake in widening the gaps and increasing the hatred, the way that we act and react to political things. A Christ follower, okay, a person following in the way of Jesus does not hate people, period, okay? Uh, Even their enemies, yet today we're adding enemies, right? We're forced into these man-made categories, Democrat or Republican, mask or no mask, what do you think about banning TikTok? And then we're like put into these tribes and separated and then the guns are pointed at each other. And we're like, what? Just, you know, and so listen, we are the people building bridges out of love in our society. That's us. We're the people who apply bandages, bandages made out of forgiveness and hope and love and mercy and grace. I can't tell you how many of my pastor friends have wanted to quit the past couple of years. Not quit their church, quit their quit ministry and, you know, not because people weren't, like, coming back after the pandemic. Of course, that's disheartening when less people come to church or whatever for a pastor. But they wanted to quit because people in their churches were becoming enemies over, like, masks and things. Again, that matters. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. But they were becoming enemies over things that should not divide church families, you know? And, and listen, I'm not saying don't have an opinion. Have an opinion. Be very thoughtful about it. That's great. And I'm not saying don't publicly state your opinions. Go for it. Stand up. That's great. We, we live in America. Publicly state your opinion. That's great. But I think that we can build a church where both Democrats and Republicans come in here and they can both be uncomfortable. <laughs> That's what I think. What Jesus is telling you to do in Luke chapter 6 is radical. And I don't know. I just think that if following Jesus never feels radical, like, are you really following Jesus? You know? N.C. Wright says this, if you live in a society where everyone believed in this God, the God of Luke 6, Jesus who's saying this, there wouldn't be any violence. There wouldn't be any revenge. There wouldn't be divisions of caste or cl- class or caste. Property and possessions wouldn't be nearly as important as making sure your neighbor was all right. Imagine if even a few people took Jesus seriously and lived like this. Life would be exuberant, different, astonishing. People would stare. And of course, people did stare when Jesus himself lived this way. Think about, Jesus had 12 disciples. Two of them were Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. That is more radical than if the most left-wing and the most right-wing person were leading a city group together, okay? So so the Zealots, they wanted to overthrow the Roman government by military force, okay? They wanted to start a war. Matthew the tax collector, he was part of the Roman government, essentially. We talked about a couple of weeks ago. He's participating in taxing the Jewish people. So here you have, I want to overthrow them militarily, and I want to, I'm taking part in the Roman government. And then Jesus puts them in a small group together. Okay? You know, and so Simon and Matthew, as they come into the way of Jesus, you can imagine the kind of political discussions they had at the beginning. I can only imagine. But then they come under the banner of Jesus, and they put their lives at his feet— And they're like, what now, Lord? 
What's next? What's the next step? How do I live? How do I live? When you're loving people like Jesus, you will find yourself in a community of people with people who you might would have hated without Jesus in your heart. You know, what he's telling you to do is to be kind and merciful to people who hate you, who gossip about you at work, you know? Now, he's not telling you to be a doormat. Don't hear that, okay? You can confront the person at work who gossiped about you, but you do it like Jesus, okay? You would be loving toward that person. In Matthew's version of this sermon, Jesus ties all of these actions, love your neighbor, do good to those who hate you, pray for your abuse. He ties all of these things to heart issues like anger. Out of the heart, so we, we gotta, the mouth speaks, the scripture says, so we gotta always go to the heart level. Like, why do I hate this person? And it's, it's deeper than they said this to me on a flight. Why do I wanna do bad instead of doing good to those who hate me, right? So as we approach what it looks like to do good to those who hate you and love your enemies, I think we got to get all the way to the heart level this morning, okay? So, because like verse 34 says, to lend money to somebody who probably may not pay you back assumes that you're free from the love of money, right? To respond to someone hating you with loving kindness assumes that your identity is in Christ, not in what they think of you. It assumes that you're not a people pleaser anymore, right? So it's much deeper, really. The kind of person who prays for their abuser, is the kind of person who's really worked hard and toward forgiveness, you know? Uh, and the Bible doesn't ever say forgive and forget. You know, that we say, you know, the Bible says, the Bible doesn't say forgive and forget, no. Forgive and remember, okay? Forgive and maybe don't trust that person with your time or energy ever again. That's okay, but forgive, okay? Jesus wants to free us from our anger and our hate so effectively that we're free to love the people that hate us. We can be kind to people who do these things to us. Jesus wants to release you from your sinful anger and the, any hatred in your heart. You know, most of the people that come to our minds when we think about our enemies are people that did us wrong, but not all. Some of us, as we're talking about enemies this morning, you think about somebody that you did wrong. Uh, in Matthew, as Jesus is talking about this, he says, leave your gift at the altar. Go ahead and tithe. Uh, leave your gift at the altar and then go and seek out your brother or sister to reconcile. So if there's somebody in your life this morning that you've done wrong, Jesus says, go, take the initiative and go make it right. Reconcile with them. But again, most of the people that uh, do have done us wrong, I mean, most of the people that pop into our minds uh, in these verses have wronged us in the past, right? And so Jesus wants to release you from that hatred, from that bitterness. Again, yeah, go. So if it's somebody that you've done wrong, go to them. You know, a lot of us prefer remorse to repentance. We've done the wrong thing. We want to go, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. I really wish I wouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. And that's fine. Okay. I'm so sorry. But the hard work is actually changing repentance is the way forward. Chronic guilt stays in our lives when we don't change actually what we do. We go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, say I'm sorry, my goodness, but actually changing. Repenting, repenting means to turn around and go the other way entirely. Okay, so, but again, most of the people that come into our minds are ones that have done us wrong when we think about enemies. And so maybe you have feelings of bitterness or hatred toward them. The old saying is true. Uh, not forgiving somebody is like drinking poison and hoping it kills the other person. Okay, uh, and so um, Rick and Kay Warren are heroes of mine. You, you probably know Rick Warren. He, he planted a church in Southern California called Saddleback. He wrote Purpose Driven Life, the, the best-selling book other than the Bible of all time. Not bad, okay? And so they had two sons. Their oldest son, I believe one of their sons, Matthew, 
uh, took his own life when he was 27. And all of it, since he was a teenager, he struggled with mental health, and it was something that he was open with his parents about. They tried to work through, but it was, he just, it overcame him. And because of his mental health, Matthew should not have been able to buy a gun, but somebody sold him a gun illegally. And so uh, Rick and Kate Warren were interviewed about their son's death on CNN, and Pastor Rick said, you know, one of the hard things was forgiving the person who sold him the gun because I didn't want to forgive him. And then the interviewer asked Ms. Kay, and she said, you know what, I forgive him because I don't want to be tied to that person emotionally for the rest of my life. By choosing to forgive that person, she untethered herself from the anger, from an enemy. If you hold on to that anger, friend, listen to me. If you will not reconcile or forgive, that's a prison that you will stay in. C.S. Lewis said to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Again, forgiveness does not necessarily mean that you become best friends again, okay, but that you release vengeance and anger into God's hands. N.T. Wright also talks about how we are forgiven forgivers. We're reconciled reconcilers. All that, Jesus, all that we're being asked to live out here comes from what we see Jesus embody. Look again at verse 36. He says, to be merciful even as your Father is merciful. It all flows from God's character, okay? So what we're being asked to do by Jesus is what he did. He loved his enemies. He did good to those who hated him. Even as he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. What kind of love is that, man? We live in this way it's because, it, because it's who Jesus is in us. So I want to finish with a few kind of heart questions and um, and given a couple of ways that we can really live this out. And then we're going to have a kind of an extended time of prayer and confession and repentance after this. I will have leaders at the front. And um, I have felt like impressed the past couple of Sundays to, to do this, like to just have a shorter sermon. And I, I, I'm always kind of a shorter sermon, but like an even shorter sermon. And like give y'all an opportunity just to kind of deal with God, to repent, to confess, to bear, for someone to bear your burdens, to go, hey, there's this person who did me wrong or is doing me wrong, and I just, I get up at night thinking about it, and I think, I grip my teeth when, I, when they text me or whatever, right? And just to, to share that with somebody who can pray for you. Um, so when it comes to thinking about an enemy, right, I've already, you know, I've already shared, don't make new enemies, politics, different things, like don't accept worldly divisions in those ways. I think there's, that's some things that we can definitely repent from and, and think about. But where the rubber often meets the road is answers to questions like this. Who doesn't love me, but I really desire their love? Uh, maybe you have bitterness toward that person. Maybe it's a mom or a dad or a brother or a leader in a church. Maybe it's a mother-in-law, father-in-law, whatever. Um, who, who do I have a hard time freely doing good to? You know, uh, who is it? They, they, they text you or call It's like, yeah, I'll pick up your kids. You know, yeah, all right, I'll... Uh, yeah. Who is it? Here's $5. Oh, God. You know, that kind of thing. Um, who do I have bitterness for? I bet names are popping into your heads. Um, and uh, please allow me to mention, I, I promise you my sentence structure here annoys me. I, I, I'm so sorry that I ended a couple sentences and prepositions. I promise you that annoys me more than it does you. Okay. You know, I'll be honest with you this morning, as I've been thinking about preaching it this week, when, when I there's somebody who comes to mind here for me. I wouldn't call him an enemy, but like he quickly comes into my mind when I read Jesus talking about praying for your enemies. You know what I'm saying? 
Um, and I've tried to reconcile. I've talked to a counselor about it. I prayed Psalm 3 over our friendship or past friendship or whatever. I've worked toward forgiving him. But here's what I'm trying to say. Sometimes forgiveness takes years. Sometimes it can really be a deep wound. And so, you know, sometimes I think I'm over it. Right? I'm over it. I've really gotten victory over this. And then, you know, and even though he's never asked for forgiveness and he never will, okay, and then something happens and I think about it and the angry feelings flood back and it's time to repent anew and confess anew and to work through in forgiveness again. Again, that's, that's okay, right? As those angry feelings flood back and come back, uh, do the work to recognize your anger, engage the anger, give it to God and repent. Lionel Richie says, if you scream at the past, you'll trip over the future. I really think he's right about that. If we keep screaming at the past and not giving this to God, giving that vengeance to God, giving that anger to God, not forgiving the person, again, not trusting and forgetting, but not forgiving that person will trip over what God has in front of us in the future. And so Jesus wants us to forgive our enemies and then even be loving, so free from that hatred, hatred and anger that we're free to love them. He wants us to, and he wants us to do that because he loves them to be sure, but he wants us to do that because he loves you. He wants you to live in that freedom that he's giving to you all the time. So as the band comes up, there's kind of a four-step process that I recommend to you as you work through forgiving enemies, not hating enemies, being loving toward enemies, and that's to identify, confess, repent, and pray. So identify, who is this person and, and maybe even why? Why do I have such bitterness toward them? Identify. And then confess it to somebody. So prayer team, if you guys want to come on up, Chaz and others, if you want to come on up to receive people. Um, I'll tell you, you, you can trust everybody up here. They're hand selected. Okay. Most of them. Uh, just kidding. They're hand selected. And so you can trust them. Um, so identify, confess it to someone here. Confess it to somebody at lunch after. Confess it in city group. So we have those four. Um, repent. Maybe the hardest part, actually changing. You know, instead of giving into the racing thoughts at night, instead of going on and on and not doing the work of forgiveness, changing. And then praying, giving it to God. You know, the, uh, uh, the first Peter says to cast your cares on him because he cares for you. So uh, this morning, Jesus isn't just going, ah, stop. You know, he's going, ah, stop. You know, change. Let me change you from the inside out. So we're going to have plenty of time here. You can deal with God in your seat there. You can come and talk to a brother or sister up here. But we're going to take plenty of time here to just deal with God.